0: There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal.
1: Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover-to-Cover Series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. God,
0: we thank you for this time in your word. And Fathers, we come before you, again, that we wouldn't allow our hearts or minds to be distracted by anything, but God, we would just recognize that we can experience you by your spirit, through your word, to learn more about who you are, God, that ultimately we can become more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So again, as you guys are looking there, uh, Numbers chapter 26, you guys can be looking at like those last four verses. Yeah. Uh, Old Testament. Yep. Numbers chapter 26 and if you guys remember from last week kind of where we are as we're coming to the end of that is right at chapter 25 where we were last week Is we saw that there was uh, this conflict and this conflict was born out of uh, Balaam who we've been looking at for weeks and weeks and weeks but Balaam this prophet of Midian who wanted to get financially benefit and so what he ends up doing is he comes up with this plan because he realizes all of his witchcraft couldn't curse God's people But he realizes something through that, that God is powerful and consistent to his word. And so he comes up with this plan and goes, wait, I know God's character. I've come to realize what what Yahweh will and will not tolerate. And so he comes up with this plan. If you can get God's people to trade the promises I just heard from him for a counterfeit satisfaction, they'll bring judgment on themselves. They will end up short-circuiting the promises of God for themselves by choosing self-worship and actually worship of other gods than Yahweh. His very first command, have no other gods before me. And so what we see is that uh, Midian goes along with this plan. And what they come up with is they come up with this plan where they take their women and they introduce their culture and worship to their God. Which was, hey, if we engage in these sexual practices, if we eat these foods, if we do these things, that's how we worship our God. Do you guys want to come and join us? And in that in fact, it says that the people of Israel, twenty-four thousand of them, die in a plague because they engage in this worship. They engage in and again what can only be described is demonic ritual worship through these sexual practices, and and that through this culture, they they get so prideful in that that while people are dying from a plague around them, there's a congregation that meets at the tabernacle, and they are pleading with God. Their heart is broken, 24,000 people dead, and they are begging for God to stop the plague, to, to bring an end to this, and in the midst of that, in the middle of their prayer and their heartbreak, This Israelite man takes a prominent Midianite woman, walks right into the temple court, and begins to perform the very act of demonic worship right there in front of everybody. As if to take that and shove it right in their face and says, this is the culture now. And, And again, understand two things. Not only are they engaging in that act of worship in front of everybody in that moment, to smash it in their face, to say, oh no, this doesn't stay in the bedroom, we're gonna take it right out and we're gonna say, you will accept this. In fact, actually, it's more aggressive than that. Understand what this was all rooted in. This was rooted in a plan to take out Israel. That there was a Moabite king who saw Israel on the horizon and says, how do I destroy these people? And he tried to have this pagan witch doctor cast these curses and it fails. And so what this is, is not only is this getting people to engage and breaking all of Yahweh's laws, which is a reflection in character of himself that come with so much promise. But in this moment, they're actually attempting to take over and to destroy the people of Israel. That was the game plan. And then again, what we see is that this was really nothing new. That is, as, as humans, we have a choice. We can either serve God, love him, Or hate him. Because understand, Scripture makes this clear, there is no riding the fence here. He says you can't have two masters. You're going to either love one and hate the other. That's how it works. And that includes ourselves. That when we engage in self-worship, remember we were talking about last week, just to love yourself, to treat yourself. And when you do that, you are choosing. It is a choice to say, I'm not just choosing other. I'm choosing to say, I hate God. And that this this unoriginal is really something that goes all the way back to the garden where the enemy, that serpent and dragon of old, would would take a tactic that we see today. In fact, I, I dare say, with, with no poignant intention, and not want to put in on that we even experienced last week, where where either through intentionality or mistake, that a false view of scripture is taken, a a premise is based on that on that twisted view of God's culture, or God's word, and then present it in a question as if though you're making a truth statement. And then again, that's something that's unoriginal. goes all the way back to the garden, where where Satan takes God's word, twists it, and then asks Eve a question. Tempting in the very way that he would then go before Christ in the desert and tempt him in the very same way. Well, he'll quote scripture to Jesus, and then he twists it. Or he takes scripture and he twists it and then builds a false premise upon that. And we see that time and time again throughout that, Christ's answer was to quote scripture accurately. To return the lie for truth because God's word is truth. And again, to understand that, guys, to to love somebody is not to allow somebody either by ignorant or willful Live in sin and not address it. Again, if, if you guys, uh, some of you guys may n- know where I live, and I, I'm not that far from a park, and there's a road that divides. If you guys were walking by the park, as I've seen some of you guys do, and you saw me sitting on the side of the curb, and there's Avery playing in the middle of the street, and I'm just sitting there, oh, look how much fun she's having. And she's just building little sandcastles in the middle of the street, and here's coming the truck, and your daughter's in danger. Oh, Guys, just love her. She's having fun. She's a, there, there's a car coming. Guys, don't be so narrow-minded. Don't be so mean. Clearly, she's enjoying her life. Let her have her fun. And then nobody would look at me and go, what a loving father. They would say, how much did you have to hate your daughter to see a truck coming down the road and not say, that's not safe. That choice leads to destruction. Guys, it is not loving to let people live in that state. And I'm not saying, now, at the same time, I would completely get it if everybody was walking by and saw me run over, sock Avery in the head and say, what are you doing in the road? Whoa, what kind of dad does that? Understand, there's this weird thing that gets painted now that to tell somebody, hey, that's dangerous, you need to get off of that path that leads to destruction and division and, 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 and brings death, that somehow that act... That loving act is equivalent to running up and punching them in the face. And I get that because there have been many who have taken the word of God and using it as a hammer when it should have been used as a hand of grace. Because it is not loving to see somebody who you love and care for living in a lie, living on a path that leads to destruction and not say, I just gotta tell you, the road you're on, I see the truck coming. God's word makes this clear. And I'm gonna ask you and I'm gonna plead with you, Come to this, get get, out of that, get off that path, come this way. And we can do it without being cruel and smashing people and taking a hammer. I'm going to say, it does not make sense to try to avoid the truck by throwing hammers at somebody. I mean, I get it. Sometimes you're like, well, whatever it takes. That, those are not the only choices that we have. It's not truck or hammer. Truck or, hey, get out of there. And it it all led us to ask this question that we looked at last week, which was simply, does God excite you? Does it excite you to to live after every word that he's spoken? Do the things that excite God excite us? And that's just something we we need to to ask ourselves. To ask yourself, will will you take hold of the promises of every word that comes from God or choose the counterfeit? that always leads to brokenness, division, and death. And with that, guys, let's look at Numbers chapter 26. I said, look at verses 63. We're going to cover this real quick. I just want to set the setting. So we looked at the 24,000 were dead. Phineas, if you guys remember, in the zeal of God, ended that rebellious demonic worship in front of the congregation. The plague comes to an end. God says, hey, when I see the offense lifted up on a pole, my wrath is turned away. And after that moment, you come to 26, and they redo a census. And what we find out at the end of chapter 26, verse 63, these are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priests, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So where we are, guys, right now, If you guys remember, about to go into the promised land. And God says, look at all that I have for you. And the 12 spies went in. 12 spies went in and and 10 came back out and go, God's a liar. We can't do this. There's giants in the land. We cannot do this. And Caleb and Joshua go, giant or army, it doesn't matter. We've got God on our side. We should take hold. And the congregation chose to disobey God, to call him a liar and to walk away. And God says, you said that you would rather die in the wilderness, thy will be done. Where we are in scripture is every single adult who was at the age of accountability at that moment, they are all gone. We've looked at the core rebellion. We've looked at other rebellions that have led to death. Just the walking in the wilderness for 40 years. Where we are right now is that entire generation is gone. And all that is left is all those who are under the age of accountability, except for Moses... Joshua, and Caleb. Even Moses' sister and Aaron have passed away. So that's where we are. Now, chapter 27, if you guys look there, verse 1, if you guys turn the page, uh, we're going to cover this really quick. Uh, It says, Then came the daughters of Zepholahad. Zepholahad. Yep. Verse 5, So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zepholahad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass from them. So here's what happens. Chapter 27 kicks off. Everyone has been passing away. We're at this new generation. They're getting ready to go into the promised land where there will be land allotted to families. And these daughters of Zephulahad step up and go, um, wait a second. By cultural law, the land is passed down to the father's son. But our father who actually died, and they make a point to say this, he didn't die in the Korah Rebellion. He died because he was one of those who went along with the congregation and didn't go into the Promised Land, but he was of that age of accountability, but he actually didn't rebel in the Korah Rebellion, but he has no sons left. And they go to Moses and go, is it right that, no, that we, we get left with nothing That because we don't have a brother that the land just gets divvied out and we're supposed to just wander around like nothing? And Moses goes, well, let me go ask God. Moses goes to God and says, God, what do we do? The culture says that it should go to a male, um, but there's not a brother to take care of these ladies. What happens? The guy goes, what do you mean what happens? They're right. Do you think that I value them any differently? Give them land. And I find this moment that can get passed over in Scripture so, so easily, and, and not unironically. Um, I'm in a place right now where there's very limited things you can watch with a six- and one-and-a-half-year-old, um, And I don't care. Men, if you want to come try and take man card, I could give a rip. I really don't care. Uh, I like watching Pride and Prejudice. I like watching Sense and Sensibility. I like watching both of those. But something jumped out to me as I was watching those over this last week with my daughters. The whole premise of both these stories is set up on these women get nothing. That if dad dies and they don't have a brother to take care of them, they get nothing. They are cast out. That society says, you are worthless. You, and they were not, they're not even allowed to work to earn, earn an income. It's going, good luck. Hope somebody takes pity on you. That that is the, the human culture to look at somebody and go, eh. And so many times women. Ladies in this room, I hope you guys are catching what happens over and over. Because I'll just tell you this. Look at the statistics. Look at the history. Wherever God's word is taught. Like, I don't know, Afghanistan, where women started having uh, tech jobs. And now that that's all been ripped away, you don't even see them on the street. Look throughout history. Look at the statistics. Where God's word goes, women are elevated, despite what the culture wants to tell you. And it's in passages like this that we see where God goes, what are you talking about? I love them. I'm here to take care of them. Give them land. What they said was right. The inheritance passes to them. What I want you guys to see is we're going to go through this, and even briefly this moment, Is God's promise to value those that people would call valueless. To protect those who the world doesn't seek to protect. That God says, I love those that the world would abuse and discard. And he has promised to protect them and to provide for them. With that, jump with me to uh, chapter 27, verse 12. It says, now the Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain, Mount uh, Abram, and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. I just want to, again, pause for just a quick moment. So God takes, and it's a a barum, is the mountain. We've actually seen that Balaam was on the same mountain. God takes Moses up on this mountain. go up on the mountain. He says, Moses, see how, like, all the generation has passed away? I got news for you about to take you to be gathered with your family your brother and sister who have passed on and guys i just the amazing promise and hope that we have in christ is i love the language god doesn't step up and go hey you're done messed up i'm taking you out i'm done with you no he takes them up and says i want to gather you to your people That for the enemy, he uses death to cause division and separation, but God, he uses death to gather. That for the believer to know that the hope that one day I'm going to see my loved ones on the other side, only in Christ do we have that amazing, blessed hope that we can live this life knowing that. That for us, who have our faith in Christ, death, oh, I'm I'm just going to go see my family. Verse 14, for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Mirabah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So what God's telling him is going, hey, remember how I told you to speak to the rock and you totally messed up the image of my son by smacking the rock a second time? I can't let you go into the promised land. I told you that wasn't going to happen. And if you guys remember, even that moment, Moses striving with these people all those years, and he let himself get moved in his anger, and God goes, I hold that accountable. That once again, that when we allow ourselves to act in our flesh, we short circuit and rob ourselves of the blessed promises God has for us. But I also want you guys to catch this not his salvation. Not his, his promise to be gathered to his people, He's just going, hey, there's a blessed life that was for you and you chose in your anger to act out. You don't get to go into the promised land. We're gonna see by the time we get a little bit later uh, how that never really was gonna be able to be possible. Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, God, the God of the spirits of all flesh set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So Moses hears this. Time's coming to an end. And he goes, God, these people have driven me nuts. You know how it's gone. But God, they need somebody. If my time's coming to an end, raise somebody up, bring somebody to, to shepherd them, to love them. Don't, don't let them go about like sheep with no shepherd. And we see this heart of Moses, and actually, it should take you to the very heart of Jesus. We see in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus' heart reflected in this statement. When it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd." When Jesus comes on the scene, Moses said, don't let them go out like sheep with no shepherd. And Jesus comes on the scene and he's been healing people, he's been teaching. and He looks out on the people who have been, again, scattered, hopeless. And he's moved with compassion to say, "There's the sheep with no shepherd. Later after his resurrection, Peter, who had denied Jesus, Jesus does this awesome reconciliation moment with Peter and in one of the most horrible friend-zone moments of all of reality. I'm sorry. I I can't... If you guys have watched this, it's just awesome. It's like, let's make a deal kind of show. I can't remember which one it is. If you guys ever watch it, it's one of the most cringy moments on TV where there's this guy and girl standing there, and, and the announcer's like, oh, how long have you guys been together? And the guy goes, oh, six months. And the girl goes, oh, we're just friends. And you just see this guy, like, melt. And can we talk about this later? She's like, oh, no, 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 no. But really, I'm single. And you're like, oh, is this happening on TV? oh, your heart breaks for this guy. I'm telling you, it's even worse when you read Scripture. And Jesus, post-resurrection, is talking with Peter, and reconciliation goes, "Hey, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes, you know, I really like you. Peter, feed my sheep. But Peter, do you love me? You're like a brother to me, Jesus. All right, take care of my flock. Peter, am I really like a brother to you? And Peter goes, oh, he totally gets what I'm saying. Lord, you know all things. You know that I really like you like a brother. I wish it could be more, but you know the truth. And Jesus looks at him and says, feed my sheep. This moment is going to have such an impact in Peter's life. Then in First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 through 25, he says, he himself who bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes were healed. You were like a sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Later, he will refer to Jesus as the chief shepherd. That is, Moses is saying, they need somebody who will shepherd them so they're not like lost sheep with no shepherd. And Peter's going to say, guys, I missed it. I missed it. I, I call him like a brother when he was so much more. It's our shepherd. It's our, our chief shepherd who bore our sins. Psalm 23 says it so beautifully. David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in this declaration of, Lord, bring them a shepherd. Verse 18 of Numbers 27, Jesus, God says to him, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man whom's in the Spirit. And you have to imagine that Moses is going, yes. Notice there, it didn't, Moses didn't step up and say, Hey, there's this guy Joshua. He's been with me. Uh, you know, I really think he's the guy to go to. So, you know, when I die, should just go to this guy. No. He didn't say, well, you know, it should go to my son. He goes before God and he says, God, you, you are the God, of the spirits of all men, of all flesh. You know what to do. And he goes, hey, why don't we take Joshua? And you got to imagine, just, yes. You mean Joshua who's been sitting in the tent with me, watching me talk face to face with you, Joshua who was leading in battles, Joshua who helped you know win the wars against the giants. Yes, Joshua. And God says it's because my spirit's in him. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. He says, The Lord does not see man as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And, and God knows Joshua and says, He's the next guy. We're not going to do some weird thing where we treat this like a kingdom where just because you have a son that it's going to pass to him, I know his heart. And that guy who, when, when we got done talking and you left the tent, he just hung back in the tent because he just, he just wanted to hang out with me. That's, that's the guy who's going to leave next. And lay your hand on him. Set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight and you shall give him some of your authority to him that all the congregation the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for uh, for him by the judgment of the Urim. And at his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him and all the congregation. So I just want to, there's a moment in Deuteronomy that lets us know something kind of interesting happens here. So God takes Moses up on the mountain. Moses, you're not going to go into the land. But I want to show you what the people are going to experience. I want to, I want to show you what I'm going to do. And Moses is experiencing this. Moses says, choose somebody. You choose somebody. And he says, Joshua. Yes, Joshua. And Deuteronomy lets us know that something else kind of happens on this same mountaintop. Deuteronomy chapter three, it says, then I pleaded with the Lord that at that time saying, oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant, your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there.'" in heaven or on earth, who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and wouldn't listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. I speak no more and speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes toward the west, the north and the south, in the east. Behold it with your eyes for you shall not cross over this Jordan but command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over before the, this people and he shall cause him to inherit the land which you see. So he's having this, this interaction with God about going over it and then he hears that, okay, you're not going in but Joshua's going to go in and Moses goes into a moment and goes, please, please, God, you're a good God. You can do anything. How about let me go? And God goes, Enough. Enough of that. Don't ask me anymore. You're not going in. Your job now is go encourage Joshua. You know how these people are. You know what this position is. So I want you to go and encourage Joshua. And at a later time, come back up to this mountain because I'm going to show you some more stuff. So, So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So Moses comes down from the mountain. Now, chapters 28 through about 30 are, are going to be going over some feasts. They're going to they're be reestablishing. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And So they're, they're kind of like, okay, that Bell of Peor thing, really bad. Guys, we, we almost messed up again. We're heading into the promised land. We're kind of messed up with the spies. We're about to go into the promised land. And yeah, we got sideways in a bad way. And so they, those chapters are about reestablishing in, in the foundations of the culture and saying, guys, this is how you're to live when you go into the land. But I want you guys to turn to Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. And so if you guys remember that at the end of chapter 25, God had told Moses, hey, this Midianite plan, you're going to go and you're going to attack these people because this was a declaration of war. Don't mistake, this wasn't just a one culture trying to mingle with another culture. This was an all-out war where the desire was to take out the nation of Israel by a cultural takeover. And what they say is, is that they, by, by ending that, is they were going to tempt that. God says, we're going to go back and, and we're going to finish the war that they started. So chapter 31 is that very quick war. Numbers chapter 31, verse one, it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. After, uh, afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So again, he was on the mountain. He says, Moses, your time's coming to an end. And then he says, go down, tell Joshua he's the next guy. They're working with the people, re-going over, establishing the culture that they're going to have going into the land. And now chapter 31 goes and God goes, Moses, it's time. Now you're going to take the battle back to the Midianites. And when this one's over, that's one of the markers. I'm going to be taking you to be home with your people. But I love this because Moses is old. Like old, old. And God's not done with him yet. Even to hear that where he sees death's door is not that far away, God goes... But I still got work for you to do. Know that you are never too young or too old to be used by God. Verse 3 So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. Did you guys catch that? What is this battle about? This is vengeance for the Lord. This is not murder, this is not some cultural conquest to take over, this is vengeance. For a declaration of war against the people, to try and join them into their culture of pagan and demonic worship, and God is saying that this is vengeance for me." Vengeance, which, by the way, God says, "This is not your vengeance, this is mine." As Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, "Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written in Deuteronomy 32:35, "Vengeance is mine. I will pay." says the Lord. Again, remember that God says the reason that they are doing this, the reason that this is playing out, is because back in chapter 25, there was an attempt of cultural takeover, war to eliminate the children of God. Through this, again, demonic ritual practices, which, by the way, other, other parts of Scripture just... To, to pull all this in, is that you have in Psalm, when it's describing the scene, it, it's basically, it, it can be described no other as necromancy. That they were having feasts to the dead, that they were engaged in these practices. So all of this is taking place and that's what is happening in chapter 25. And that is because of that, because that this culture tried to drag God's people into that. That God says, this is not something that he is okay with. Now I also, this needs to be made clear. There was a question about the zeal and acts of Phineas. I need to make something incredibly clear, not by my words, but by God's word. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And then he pleads, turn, turn from your evil ways. That God is zealous for justice and protecting innocence. But don't for a second get confused. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But I want you guys to hear something again, quite opposite. Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Second Peter, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That God does not look at justice and go, I am happy with the death. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but yet it's his pleasure to see the death of the saints. Why? Because for the enemy, death is separation. But for God, through faith, it's a gathering. He says, that's that's the coming home. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, yet what brought him joy was to go to the cross for every single one of you. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. No death, no pleasure in the death of the wicked, pleasure in bringing his children home and going to the cross so that you can be there with him forever. That's... That is our God. That is his character and he is justly declaring war on the people that sought to destroy his children. Verses 4 through 7 tell us that what they end up doing is they take a, a thousand from each tribe Now you you find out by the end of the chapter that this war is so lopsided that they could have had more soldiers go out, but God is purposely setting up a battle plan. You're gonna see this throughout scripture. He wants to make something clear to them now before they head into the promised land. This is not military strategy. God does stuff that any military strategist would go, that is the dumbest move you could have ever made. And God goes, mm, the problem is, is that when my people try and use the human strategies, they try and take the praise and worship for themselves like they got something right. So God purposely puts them at a disadvantage to let them know when you go into the land, it's not going to be by your strength, it's not going to be by your might, but it's going to be by his power that there's victory. And he puts at the lead of that army, Phineas. Phineas, clothed in the zeal of Yahweh, gets to end to lead the end of the blight that was the plague of idolatry. Look there at verse eight. Very quick. They killed the kings of Midian, but the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Recham, Zor, Hor, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Balaam, the one whose eyes were opened and he said that he wanted to have the death of the righteous. Guys, I said it then, I'm here to tell you now. If you want to have the death of the righteous, you must have the life of the righteous. And that is a righteousness that only comes by faith. You don't get to have one without the other. You don't get to say, I want to have the death that that leads to everlasting life with God and say, but I reject your work of the cross. It doesn't work that way. Balaam got to experience that. He did not have the death of the righteous, but was caught up in the destruction of the enemy. If you want the death of the righteous, you must have the life of the righteous, which is a life that only comes by faith. As Scripture tells us, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 9, The children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took spoil, all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. Then they brought the captives, the booty, the spoil, to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eliezer, of the priests, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, "Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Please understand." We have over and over been told by God what this battle was about. Moses steps up and sees them bring other women. and goes, what are you guys doing? Did you think that this was, has anything to do with us m- making a name for ourselves or claiming land? God told us what this was. This was about their trying to take us over because we entered into pagan idolatry to put an end to it. And you brought the very women who led us into this situation back to be part of the we're not allowing this culture to mix this this was nothing this was not a military conquest to gain land this was god saying vengeance is mine i am not acting in accordance with the ways of man i am saying that these women led into demonic ritual practices and i want that to end verse 17 this is how serious it is now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. And I get everyone who might pause for a moment and go, what, I was tracking with you. What? What? Guys, again, let let me help out just a bit to please understand something. That worship to Baal did not just include adults having sex. They groomed these children they sodomize these children. They abuse these children. And if that wasn't bad enough, they would then set them on fire and burn them. They have found houses with bones and bones and bones of these dead children. This culture was not a loving culture that just had it different. This was a prideful, sexual practice culture. And it always, always leads to the death and abuse of children. Always. And that is something that from the beginning of this that we've seen, God is saying, I am not okay with that. I am a God to protect those who cannot protect themselves, and I am here to provide for those who cannot provide for them. And this culture, it leads to death and destruction and abuse of those otherwise. And he says, I am not okay with that. Now, as we also saw that when God was setting the standard of who got to go into the land and who didn't, it all came down to the age of accountability and I know for a moment this might be hard, but to a child who would otherwise be abused, tormented, or burned, for the swift return, he uses death to gather to his people. The most loving thing he can do is go, I cannot allow these children to be treated that way. And through this means, I will use death as a means to gather them and bring them home where they're going to be safe. Verse 18 gives us a little bit more insight. But keep keep alive for yourselves the young girls who have not known a man intimately. Now some, I don't know how they get here in this this moment, they go, oh, so they're taken like sex slaves. What? Well, yeah, they took virgins for sex slaves. Or the context is we know that the women, we're told over and over, were the ones who, engaged in these sexual ritualistic practices and god goes hey the women who didn't do that they're innocent don't kill them if they're virgins they weren't engaged in this practice i'm going to judge the heart and practices of these people and so again as we look at what is god using when he's saying put an end to this he is either using death as a means to gather the innocent or to judge the guilty And in this we see it clear that God says it's not by race, it's not by nationality, by no partiality. I know, crazy thought. He's judging people on the merits of their character and actions. Radical idea, I know. But it's what God chose to use as his standard. And to understand again as we wrap into all of this, God's heart, we read these heavy passages like this you can ask about okay well how are we supposed to interact with with others and and again as we started off is go we think sometimes for some reason it's like the answer to the truck is the hammer and i have no clue how we get there or that somehow telling someone to lovingly get off the path to say that's a path that leads to destruction means that you're punching them in the face okay how about this don't punch them in the face start there but know that offering a word of warning does not equate to violence And to understand again the heart of God as we come to an end of this moment. As the people are about to enter into the promised land and he is taking vengeance on a culture that sought to destroy his children, a culture that always leads to the death abuse of the innocent, which God is not okay with. Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great mighty an awesome God who shows no partiality nor takes bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So as these women have this entire group of men obliterated for their acts, Judge for that, like the daughters of Zavohad, He goes, I'm not going to leave them to wander the land without nothing. I will bring them into the fold to provide for them home, clothing, and food. Because he is a God who sees and cares. A God who says, I will defend the defendless. I will fight for those who can't fight. And I will provide for those who are devalued and treated as nothing. Again, that God is a just God and he values those who the world says have no value. And again, for everyone in this room, know that he set the value of you by the price of his son's life on the cross and he will defend the innocent unapologetically. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time and your word this morning. Lord, I pray that by your word and seeing your character, God, that we we would desire to know you more, to know your word more. Lord, to choose the promises of every one of your words and to not circumvent or shortcut ourselves by choosing counterfeit, fleeting pleasures. But God, to find fulfillment in who you are and who you've called us to be. In your son's name, amen.
1: The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in A Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatsSucks797. My name is Bryce, and you are known they mortal.